Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport, you have come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and as always plenty of entertainment. What an incredible few weeks since the last episode, which was released days before I headed to Kona for the Ironman World Championship. It was a whirlwind few weeks in the States, in San Diego, Hawaii and Arizona. And to be honest, it's been all go since I got home too. Thankfully, it's going to be busy right through until mid-December when I will be glad of a small break to get ready for hopefully another great year in 2024. Lots of people have been in touch wanting to hear what it was like being in Kona and it's hard to know where to start to share with you just what being on the big island was like for me personally this year at the first ever Women's Ironman World Championship. I became the first woman ever to be the lead announcer at an Ironman World Championship and the first woman ever to call an Ironman World Champion across the finish line. All of this, as I mentioned, at the historic Women's Only Ironman World Championship. Yes, you heard all of that correctly. Me, from a small rural area in County Cork in Ireland, now based out of Galway, on the west coast of Ireland, was going to play a part in creating sporting history in Hawaii. I still don't think I have processed how amazing it was to be in Kona and to call Lucy Charles Barclay across the line. Having followed her journey to the top of the world was just so incredible. For her to finally break the tape on Elite Drive on her fifth attempt and for it to be me, to be the person who called her across the line as the new world champion, was just so special. I can tell you my stress levels were through the roof on numerous occasions throughout the race week in Kona. My levels of perspiration at times were not from the heat and humidity of the big island, but from the nerves and the adrenaline coursing through my veins. The pressure was immense at times. My watch actually buzzed every so often with the abnormal heart rate notification as I took a deep breath and got ready to host a variety of the functions across the week. I was most definitely outside my comfort zone at times and it was a very emotional week. I won't lie, I had a little cry of joy and relief in the tower on the finish line on Saturday afternoon after the podium presentation with Lucy, Anna and Laura when I went back up to Paul and DJ Dave in the tower who gave me the biggest bear hugs and congratulations of a job well done before I headed to host the post-race press conference. All week I had been holding back the emotions. Each event I hosted I just ticked the box of another job done, not really thinking about the bigger picture or impact of what I was doing every day because if I thought about it too much I think it would have been hugely overwhelming and I just didn't have the headspace for being overwhelmed as it was all go. We had an incredible Ironman team in Kona and the support I received from the wider team on site was super and in particular the support I got from our announcing and production teams to the marketing and world championship team specifically was just brilliant. Now, Paul Kay will kill me for saying this, but he was like a proud dad, supporting me, encouraging me and helping me to shine at every turn each day. And DJ Dave was like my hype man, never short of a hug or an encouraging word as he blasted out some of my favourite tunes every day. Paul Kay and Mike Riley have been such a huge part of my announcing career, so it was very special to have spent time with Mike and his wife Rose and their family in San Diego before I went to Kona. And to have Paul as my number one wingman for the week was just brilliant. He joked about being the water boy, but he did a super job. He can be my water boy anytime. There were so many personal highlights across the week, probably too many to mention here. I think I'll probably need to do a podcast on Tales from Inside Kona to share them all, but some of them included hosting the Heroes of Hawaii on the Monday night, chatting with some of the legends of Ironman, 
The Aloha Reception and Hall of Fame induction at the Palace on the Wednesday night hosting the press conferences was as daunting as it was exciting. Hosting all the banquets, being a guest on Breakfast with Bob on the Friday before race day was in a word, class. How cool was that? And having a big crew of Irish in the live audience was great fun too. Big thanks to Paul Byrne and Louise O'Reilly from Port Marnock Tri Club for rounding up all the Irish to be there in the live audience. And obviously race day was just incredible from early morning right through to that very last finisher. Meeting so many athletes across the week, connecting with friends and meeting lots of new people from all over the world, running on a Lee drive, swimming to the coffee boat and of course the post-race after parties. Yes, there were multiple parties and just generally having lots of fun. It's a race week I will not forget for a very long time. The buzz, the energy, the camaraderie, the support from people all over the world, not just in Kona. To be honest, my phone almost melted on race day with all of the messages of support and excitement at hearing my voice on the live feed. It was very surreal. And I'm just so grateful that I have had the opportunity and privilege to be part of the Ironman family since 2011 and that this year I got to achieve my dream of one day calling the Ironman world champion across the line in Kona. And now, on the Try Talking Sport podcast, I got to chat with our 2023 VinFast Ironman World Champion, Lucy Charles Barclay. The highlights just keep rolling. But before we dive into the chat with Lucy, a quick note just to let you know that the RWB Ireland Monday Night Social Swift Spin is back every Monday night at 7.05pm GMT. Come join me, the Chatterbox and Oliver Harkin from Park Try the Coach for an hour of fun on the virtual tarmac while spinning out the legs. Find us on the companion app or drop me a message and I'll send you the link. As always, don't forget about our discount on those wonderful Nuasan products. If you haven't checked them out, go to www.nuasan.com to see their range of products and use the code TTS15 to get 15% discount online. I'm still in love with the Active CBD Muscle Gel and now that my winter training is almost in full swing, I have stockpiled the gel to help with the post-training recovery. Now, finally, to this week's guest, Lucy Charles Barclay from the United Kingdom, who last month completed a hat-trick of world titles in three years by becoming the 2023 Ironman World Champion, earning a world title that had eluded her since her pro debut on the Big Island in 2017. She finished in second place four times in Kona before finally breaking the tape as the Ironman World Champion on Saturday the 14th of October this year in a world's best course time of 8 hours, 24 minutes and 31 seconds on a day that will be remembered in sporting history for many years to come for a whole host of incredible achievements by the over 2,000 women who participated in the first ever Women's Only Ironman World Championship race. Lucy has been on an incredible journey in sports throughout her life. An impressive and driven athlete at a very young age, her sights were always set on being the best in class in her chosen sport, whether that was swimming as her first love, to triathlon, where she has excelled to become one of the most loved and best triathletes in the world. The 2021 Ironman 70.3 World Champion and 2022 World Triathlon Long Distance World Champion hasn't been on an easy road to becoming three-time world champion. Two major injury setbacks in recent times saw her and her team seek out ingenious ways to keep her on track and ensure her journey to the Ironman World Championship finish line this year was not derailed but was kept firmly on track all the way to the top step of the World Championship podium. 
Lucy's rise to sports superstar is hugely inspiring. Her commitment to her craft, her tenacity, focus, determination and her resilience in the face of disappointment and adversity is something one can only admire whether a fan of the sport of triathlon or not. It's hard not to be a fan of Lucy as we follow her life's journey in awe of her ability to continually push her mind and her body to the limit in pursuit of success and achievement of her dreams. This is such a great chat with Lucy, who shares incredible insight into her life and loves as she regales us with stories of her journey to the top of the world. Now, go grab a cuppa and enjoy the show. Lucy Charles Barclay, welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast. I have had so many requests over the years for you to be a guest on the show. So I'm delighted that now I get to chat with you as the 2023 Ironman World Champion. Yay! Oh, that sounds so good. And yeah, thank you for having me. It's so nice to talk with you. Lucy, do you smile every time you hear those words, Ironman World Champion? I mean, it's hard not to smile when you hear that. I mean, still every now and again, even this morning, Rich woke up and he was like, you did it. Like, you still did it. So, uh, yeah, it's just really nice. I think especially knowing the journey to get there, it just feels so special to finally hear those words. What was it like running down the finish line on Elite Drive? I mean, it was crazy, really. And I watch it now and... I think you have so much panic in your mind when you're that late into the race, your mind plays tricks on you. And I thought like anyhow was right behind me, even though I had quite a comfortable lead really at the end, that three minutes, I could have lapped it up. I could have high-fived everyone running up the finish, but I just think I had to get that finish line tape. And because I haven't done it before and I felt like I've come so close so many times, I just was like, get to the tape. Like you just got to get it. Um, but it was so loud like my ears were actually ringing running up that finish shoot it was crazy um, and just to finally get my hands on the tape hear those words I'm man world champion and you calling them out oh it was just magical like I just felt so happy but so much relief as well like a real mix of emotions to finally do it it was really emotional like I, I, I don't know about you but I had to hold back the tears calling you down the finish line was such a huge moment for me, but like completely aside from that, the the biggest moment of your career to break the tape. It was just, it was really hard to kind of comprehend what had just happened. Yeah, it was crazy. It was like everything kind of slowed down for a minute. Like as I took the tape, it just felt like, like I almost was in an out of body experience really. Like, is this real? Am I dreaming? Like, is it actually happening? And then so nice to obviously have my husband Reese there, my sister there as well, like so emotional, all of us knowing the journey to get there and kind of them just being part of supporting me to do this over the years and them sacrificing so much as well. It was just like, oh, I could finally do it for them as well. So just a really magical moment. There's a couple of photographs of you where you literally just have your hands on your head. You're sticking out your tongue. You're like, there's a gorgeous photo of you, Reese and Holly on the finish line. It, it, it's just, it's magical. It really was. And I think the feeling the whole day was that everyone was willing me to do it. Like I could just feel that, that everyone was like, this is her day. Like she's going to do it. And that was amazing. But it also was like this pressure of like, oh my God, they all actually really want me to win. And I feel like I have to deliver and do this. And then to finally finish and do it and just feel like, it just felt like everyone was so happy. And that was so nice to feel that, that everyone was just over the moon for me to finally do it. I feel like everyone's been on the journey really like, oh, when's she going to win? Like, is she always going to be second? So just, yeah, amazing that everyone seemed so happy when I finished. 
And has it kind of sunk in? Have you processed what you've achieved? It's slowly starting to sink in. Um, we haven't properly celebrated yet because me, me and Reese both came down with quite a bad cold when we got home from Hawaii and the jet lag's been killing us. I think we're finally over that. Um, and actually one of our best friends is actually away on a work trip at the moment. She gets home on Saturday. So she's normally like the party planner. So when she gets home, I'm sure we're going to have a big celebration. And yeah, that I guess that will help it sink in. But I just feel really happy like I'm walking around with a smile all the time just I guess yeah feeling like I finally achieved the dream and it's taken me since 2017 so it really has been a long time coming. Before we delve into really talking about Kona I have so many questions myself to ask you but then we've had such a huge response from your fans and then listeners of the podcast so before we kind of go into Kona itself maybe let's go back a little bit, maybe the early days. You were eight years of age when you kind of got stuck into swimming. Talk us very quickly, this is your life, Lucy Charles Bartley, as to how you went from that eight-year-old swimmer to the Ironman world champion. Yeah, I guess from being a really young kid, I was always really competitive. Like my mum and dad say that I was kind of just born with this like fight in me to want to win. Um, So even as an eight-year-old, I think that's when I started swimming and just I really loved the dedication to training even as an eight-year-old and soon learned about the Olympics and that was like I remember even being like nine years old and telling everyone that I want to go to the Olympics for swimming I want to do this and I was just really driven and always loved sport but particularly swimming was what I got into and I just loved it and it was obviously even quite full-on as a nine-year-old I think I was doing some early morning training before going to school and training again in the evening anyone who knows swimming it's a really really tough sport like the the dedication to training is really full-on and obviously worked my way through swimming and then was doing quite well around the age of like 16 getting national medals competing internationally and even from very young I always wanted to do like the hardest event so when I was nine I wanted to do the 200 butterfly because I was like that's the hardest event like there's not many nine-year-olds that want to do that event and then kind of found distance swimming as I got a little bit older and was like that's even more of a challenge because you have to train more and the event's longer so it's harder and then eventually when I was about 16 um got the opportunity to do some open water racing and loved it I was like this is actually way more fun it goes way quicker but it's a still massive challenge doing the 5k and then I got to do the Olympic test event in Hyde Park for the 10k marathon swim which was an amazing experience just getting to swim with the top international swimmers it was like this biggest thing that I really got to do at quite a young age and then after narrowly missing out on the Olympics in 2012 I I kind of really struggled after that I was like can I do four more years to try and make the next Olympics and I really went all in in 2013 um had some of my best ever results I actually changed club was training really hard and felt like I was doing really well but after kind of having one of my best ever results at like a British championships I just didn't even feel happy after the race I just didn't have that usual buzz and I was like I don't think I can do this until the next Olympics and pretty much after a few months just gave it up entirely um I knew I needed to get a job at that point because I was probably around 18 19 and had no income so I went and worked at a wildlife park um randomly I was actually doing social media and marketing for them and it was a really cool job like I love animals and really was quite into social media and that kind of thing so enjoyed working there but I just missed that like commitment and drive to a goal and being able to train 
with a big goal in mind. So I hadn't been working there that long. And Reese and I actually went and raced the Great Scottish Swim. I forced him into it. He hated it. I swam terribly. Um, and we went back to the hotel and we were like, we need something. Like we need something that's going to scare us, like a big challenge. And in the hotel, we just went and signed up for Ironman UK. I think this was around August 2013. We signed up for Ironman UK in July 2014. Um, and then I remember like we went down to the like post-race party with all the athletes and we we're like, yeah, we're not doing swimming anymore. Like we're training for an Ironman. This is what we're doing. And they all just thought we were mental. Um, and then I remember like us telling our family that we were doing it and we were doing it. We did it for charity at the time as well, because we had like no money, so we could not afford to pay the entry fee. We we're like, I'll do it for charity. Um, and we slowly started learning like what we'd signed up for and was like, oh God, this is actually a really big challenge. We've got none of the equipment required to do it. We were like on eBay buying secondhand bikes. Um, my, my granddad actually loaned me money so I could buy the bike. Um, he was getting all his friends to like um, support us with the charity side so that we could raise and it was like even then it felt like a whole family effort to make sure that we were ready to do it um, and I remember Reese and I like we knew we could swim the distance that wasn't a problem but we signed up for like a sportive to do the whole 112 miles to know that we could do that and um, went and did the Milton Keynes marathon to make sure we could actually run a marathon. Uh, so we kind of checked all the boxes and then also worked our way up from doing like a sprint to an Olympic. Reese went and did a half Ironman, but I was like, I actually don't want to know how hard that is because it might put me off doing the full. So I'm just going to go in completely naive. Um, and after he did that half Ironman, he was like, I don't know how people race this. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, we're just, it's just going to be, Lucy, we have to just focus on finishing this Ironman, like not racing it. Um, and we, we were lucky because Reese was studying sports science as well. So he was learning about the nutrition side because I hadn't even thought about, oh yeah, we're going to need to feed ourselves for the entire thing. Otherwise, we're not going to finish. So all of these things were completely new to us. Um, but we were so excited about the challenge and it was something that we could both do together and be on this journey. And obviously we we got there to the start line, complete novices, um, ma managed to get through it. Like it was it was an amazing day. I did really, really enjoy it. Um, I think I did it around 12 hours. So not a bad time for your first time, man. And obviously you was there to actually call me across the finish line, which is really cool. Um, but crossing that line was like, I had never felt that much of a buzz from doing anything. Like I'd done all this amazing stuff in swimming, but that buzz and elation from finishing an Ironman was like nothing I'd ever experienced and I was just hooked I was like I need to do this again like I love this this is the best thing I've ever done um and I think I came second in my age group so we went to the awards we learned about what Kona was and we were like we've got to come back next year and qualify for Kona like that's what we want to do and that's what we did we went away and actually trained a bit smarter we dedicated ourselves to it a bit more and uh, yeah, came back the following year and both qualified for Kona. So yeah, that's kind of how it started. And then you went to Kona. You won your age group in Kona in 2015 and then turned pro in 2016. And then on your pro debut came second and for the rest is history. That is, yeah, that's how it happened. So it all happened quite fast, really, when you think about it. So yeah, it's been crazy. Your first professional Ironman win was in Lanzarote. You broke the bike course record in 2017. What was it like breaking the tape for the very first time at an Ironman? It was crazy. Like I I trained in Lanzarote a lot. It was the first place I really went to do a training camp. I think I even went there um, in 20, 
14 to train for that first Ironman and it was so tough um, training there. Like I remember we had a friend of ours that had done the Ironman um, and he took us on the bike course, but we split it over two days. And I remember me and Reese just dying. Like, But when I think back now, we was not fueling enough. Like we just didn't really have enough knowledge on that. So we were just like bonking so hard and being like, how far away are we from getting back and really suffering and thinking, God, are we actually ever going to be able to do this? Um, but then I think I just fell in love with Lanzarote as a training place, as how tough it is. It's just so honest, like training there with the wind and the barren landscape. I was like, I, this is the Ironman I want to do. And it, it was actually uh, one of my first Ironmans. Uh, I raced it in, I think I raced it in 2016 um, and came third and then came back the following year in 2017 with the ambition of winning it I was like I just want to win that one and they do this quite special thing at Club La Santa where if you win the Ironman your picture goes up in the Hall of Fame there and I had seen all of the athletes that had won it and I was like I really want to win so my picture can go in the Hall of Fame um and I'd seen that all the previous winners and wanted to be amongst them so that was like quite a big goal of mine was to win it just for that to go there and win it I actually had my parents came out and watched which was amazing um Reese was racing as well and it was just like I never thought I would actually win a, a pro race when I turned pro I mean I thought maybe I'll compete and be in the top 10 like I, I don't have a background in triathlon so is this going to be possible and then when I went there and broke the bike course record and and won it I was like oh my god like I might actually be able to do quite well in Ironman um so I guess it was like the real start for me was was winning that race becoming the Ironman 70.3 world champion in 2021 that was a uh, a gun to tape or a cannon to tape win as well fastest split across all three disciplines on the day yeah that was still probably my favorite ever day of racing and I did go into that race I just had this weird confidence that I'd never really felt before standing on the start line warming up in the morning I was like I think I I can win this like I just I just felt really confident and actually I, I don't really know why because I remember I'd I'd raced the Collins Cup um a few weeks before and actually got really unwell during the race and had come down with a stomach bug and had really struggled with that for a couple of weeks but we decided to go up and train at altitude and I just felt like this was gonna I was like this is gonna work just because I've been at altitude I'd never done it before I was like maybe it's just gonna give me that extra percent and we we came down a few days before the race and I was swimming in St. George and I just felt amazing in the pool. I was like, I think this is going to work. And um, yeah, just lining up. The minute the gun went, I got a gap. I was just on my own. On the bike, I just felt phenomenal. And on the run, I just felt like I was floating. Like, I don't think I've ever had a day like that where it just felt like everything came together and I just didn't feel challenged so I could enjoy the entire day winning that race by eight minutes and just I it was the first time I felt like it was my first ever world title but I enjoyed every minute of it and running up the finish line I could lap it up like I just knew I had a gap it was just still even now it's just crazy and yeah it just was so emotional crossing that finish line and because there was no Kona that year like my training had been leading into there being a Kona and there wasn't because of COVID so that was the biggest race of the year, um, which makes it even more special because I think sometimes the 70.3 World Champs just gets overshadowed by Kona. So the fact that there wasn't one made it even more special. Um, so, yeah, it was just 
probably up there with still one of the best days of my life, definitely. And then, of course, you became a double world champion last year when you became the long course world champion. Yeah, again, that was amazing as well, because I'd been on such a journey from having the hip injury and I didn't get picked for the Collins Cup, which was disappointing. I really wanted that to be my comeback race and be part of Team Europe. And when I didn't get picked for the team and I saw that the World uh, Long Course Championships was on the same weekend, I was like, well, at least that's kind of, I was always training for that date to be ready. So I was like, well, at least there's still an amazing race that I can be part of on that day. And it kind of was like, I want to prove that I was ready to be back racing. So um, I knew I would have a great battle as well because Emma Pallant, who also didn't get picked for the Collins Cup, was fired up to have a good race. So I knew we would have a good battle. Um, And I trained so motivated for that race um, and actually just came round really quick from the hip injury. Like a lot of people had told me, like, you can't race in 2022 because it's too soon. You're going to have to wait till 23 to get over this injury. And I didn't want to wait that long. Um, I remember kind of just just really doing everything I could to be ready. And we went back doing track workouts way sooner than, like, even my coach, Dan, was like, I don't really want you doing track workouts yet. And I was like, yeah, but if I want to win that race, I need to be doing it now. So we kind of pushed it a bit and, and he let me do it. And he was like, you just got to be so careful uh, but I had my physio there that was making sure everything was going well. And Reese was looking at the way that I was running and making sure it was symmetrical and I wasn't going to get injured in in a weird way. So actually, when I got to that race and felt really good and actually had a, a really good run in that race, I was just like so emotional because it was like, I'm back, I'm healthy. I've just won a world title on my comeback race. Like it was Really, if you were writing like the dream story, that was it. So um, that was extremely emotional to get the win there too and kind of just close the chapter of the injury and, and know that I was healthy again was amazing. You mentioned there, Lucy, that you were really disappointed not to get selected for, for Team Europe. You mentioned earlier on as well that like you finished a race, but you, you know, when you were swimming, but you didn't get the euphoria that you got when you moved across to, to Ironman. And you've also had major injuries. How do you deal with the disappointment do you just get more fired up do you just spend more time in the pain cave you know what what do you do to look after Lucy's mental health and, and physical health when there is disappointment and it's a tough sport and there's plenty of disappointment or lows that come with the highs of racing yeah the hardest injury I had was the first major injury which was the hip stress fracture um it just came as a real shock like I'd been training really well uh, in Lanzarote at the beginning of 2022 I'd was having a good camp my fitness was coming back quite quickly and then I remember doing this track workout and I I maybe pushed it a bit too far because I felt good and I just felt something in my hip like it was just on that one session straight away felt something and I, I felt in that moment I was like oh god I don't know if this is good um and then it would be throbbing straight away like every day it was throbbing and I was like mm, this isn't very good it, it would hurt when I ran so Quite quickly, I flew home from Lanzarote and Red Bull got me in for a scan within a few days. Um, and they were like, yeah, you've got, a, you've got a stress fracture in your hip, which was really hard to take because I had so many things planned for that year. I was in for the Sub 8 project. Uh, we had the St. George Ironman World Championships and then we were going to have Kona. So it was like this quite a special year because you had the opportunity to become Ironman World Champion twice. And I had this project with Sub 8 that was like this completely new thing that was really exciting. And to be told that basically I need to forget about all of that 
um, was really mentally challenging. Like I was really, really upset to begin with. And I think I, I was up, I allowed myself to be upset for a day or two. And then I was like, but this isn't actually getting me anywhere being upset. Like, let's look at what can I actually do to stay fit? What's what's going to allow me to still maintain some of this fitness? Um, and I guess the difficulty with that injury was they'd said, like, I can't do anything for at least two weeks, do nothing, like literally sit on the sofa like a couch potato. And I was like, I can't do that. Like mentally, I'm going to go crazy. Um, and I, I did kind of listen to that advice, but we went and saw another consultant um, and he was like, I think that's a little bit extreme. Like for your mental side, I think that's that's not healthy. So um, he came up with things that I could do in a very safe way, still kind of sitting on the sofa, but also like he was like, well, you could go to the gym and do the upper body. It's not realistically going to use your hip. You just, you don't want to overdo it because the second your body then needs to mend the small tears you've got in your muscles from doing the strength it's not focusing on fixing your hip injury so um we had to be a little bit careful there but the relief to just go back in the gym and lift some weights uh, was amazing and then we were really creative when I was allowed to do a bit more like Reese got me on the rowing machine with a roller skate on my left leg so that that leg would just like dangle and, and go along whilst the other leg did the work so we were like just doing everything we could and I think we took so much from that injury that actually when I broke my foot this year, it was like, right, well, we're not stopping. We're going to do everything you can to stay fit. And it's not going to look like your typical swim, bike, run training, but actually you're going to stay fit. If anything, we're going to try and progress your fitness, even with a broken foot. And again, the rowing machine came in. I had a moon boot on my foot. Reese had me with an altitude mask on rowing like max. I think we, he's got a picture somewhere of what my lactate got to and it was definitely like above six of doing these like max efforts rowing with a boot on and he was like see you're actually going to get fitter even with this like obviously your running form is going to go backwards because you can't run but actually your fitness will be there so when you come back it's not going to be like this mammoth journey to get back to fitness and I think that's been the takeaway is that actually when you get injured yes it's rubbish because usually the injury means I can't run, but we try and focus on everything that I can do rather than the things that you can't. Um, and that allows you to stay a bit more positive, I think. And as a goal oriented person, having the challenge of trying something new and, and maintaining your fitness rather than sitting on the couch, which I imagine doesn't happen very often, um, probably spurred you on as well. Um, and knowing that you weren't going to go backwards, because it must be very hard when you do get injured like that to think of, wow, I've just put in a really serious block of training. I'm coming into all these great races and now my fitness is going to go to pot. And, and you mentioned Reese quite a lot there. And obviously we all know Reese is your husband. He's part of your coaching team. But other than you and Reese and your lovely sister, Holly, who does a lot of your, your photography, and your coach Dan who else is on team Charles Barkley I mean actually over the years we've we've built up quite a tight-knit team but they are amazing so obviously I have Dan that writes basically my training plan he's the mastermind behind that Reese is the person that helps me deliver it Holly obviously does my social media and is able to share our journey and things that I'm doing with everyone which I love um I have my physio Michael who traveled to Kona with me he's kind of he comes to the major races if he can, but he lives just down the road from me. So he makes sure that my body's working. And over the years, I've had to see him more and more regularly. I think that's mainly due to the fact that I'm just pushing the boundaries of training to get to that level. I need him more to make sure that 
everything stays healthy. And I th- I've worked with him for a good number of years now. So he just knows my body inside out. He knows what things tighten up. He He's able to really manage that really well, which is amazing. Um, I also train at a local swimming club in Epping. Uh, the coach there is amazing called Gavin. He kind of, if I'm there, he'll tailor the training a bit more to me and Actually, during the pandemic, I went and raced for them at the Olympic swimming trials, which was amazing for such a small club um, to get a bit of coverage. So that was brilliant. I also have amazing support from Red Bull. So their extensive team of physios and doctors, when I get injured, they fly me out to Austria to the um, Athlete Performance Centre there. And I've just got an amazing relationship with the physios, with the nutritionists, with the psychologists, like they've been amazing in helping me have that little bit wider team of experts. So like there's over the years with the injuries, like speaking to a psychologist and just like, I remember one of them saying to me when it gets really bad, just go into the forest really far in there and just go and scream your head off. I haven't yet done that yet. I haven't felt like I needed to, but it just made me laugh so much that it's like, okay, well that, yeah, I guess that's normal. Maybe. Um, Lucy being a mermaid, you could swim out like a kilometre into the bay and then just let loose we, we do a thing in uh, we do a thing in Galway here for the the full moon um at Black Rock Diving Tower it's called the Howlers so they go out in the evening time at night at like nine or ten o'clock at night for the full moon and people go howling at the moon like they're 20 meters from the shore but it is one of the coolest things to go howling <laughs> not from frustration or excitement but just like going a bit wild in the water um so there's an option there now for you is it Sam Long that does that? He'd probably enjoy that quite a lot, I think. I don't know. <laughs> um, so you've a really good team around you. And of course, you forgot to mention Lola and Pickle. Of course. I mean, they are the key people in the team or the key animals in the team. Um, yeah, they've been great. I mean, uh, most people know I decided to do my Kona block at home this year. So I spent six weeks doing the prep at home and they were one of the main reasons why I decided to do that block at home because I'd spent so much time training abroad. I, I miss them so much. So whilst they probably give back maybe 10% in recovery and relaxation and taking my mind off of training for a bit, going for a walk, I'd say they probably then take away maybe 9% in their neediness, needing feeding, always have so much energy. Um, but they are an amazing distraction to kind of just take my mind off of training when I need it. So yeah, very special members of the team. Working and training with Reese, how do you find time for each other away from the pain cave, away from triathlon, and just be Lucy and Reese, a happily married couple, as opposed to coach, training partner, athlete, you know, probably somebody you're pushing back against all the time when you don't want to do the training. Like Reese, you know, I don't want to do it. I want to do this session. How do you just make time for you to be just two regular people in love? Yeah, I mean, if you think of the journey that we've been on, we both met when we were swimmers. We were both national level athletes. Um, Reese was studying at university at the time. I was swimming on the elite squad, um, and that's how we met. So when we both kind of went on this journey into triathlon, we had no idea what to expect. And we was kind of just both learning as we go. And I guess Reese is a phenomenal athlete as well, but he just saw the talent that I had and the potential I had. So very early on, he kind of just sacrificed his training to support me and see how far he could help me get in the sport. So it's been a real crazy journey from being both of us complete novices coming into this learning as we go to actually winning world titles and having him support that and 
of course it's so full-on that the training is extreme and we're also having a normal married marriage and relationship running a house keeping the house tidy we've got two dogs so like balancing all of that is really really difficult and we do we are very good at almost putting our different hat on of right this is Lucy the athlete this is Reese the coach and then right this is us as husband and wife um trying to really separate the two I think we've done that really well over the years but Reese has always been the person that I look up to for advice like even in the early days of swimming like he just was really really good when it came to training and me asking what I should be doing so yeah he's always kind of been that role even from the start and so the question I have is who fills the dishwasher (laughs) um well it's normally me that loads it because I'm one of those people I hate to admit that if someone else loads the dishwasher, I will reorganize it. So actually, I'd just rather do it. Um, and then Pickle, who's on the screen at the moment, he likes to lick the dirty plates when they're in there. He's one of those dogs. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Pickle, for the record, is going a bit cracked in Lucy's lap here at the moment. Got the ears up and uh, looking at the screen like, who is this crazy woman on the computer? It's so cute. For Reese and yourself coming back to your relationship, where was your first date and who asked who out? So I think our first date was, we actually went out as a group uh, to begin with when Reese was at uni. I think it was like Freshers Week. Um, I think it was around Halloween, actually. And we all went out as a group, which was really nice. And then after that, Reese actually um, said he would make me dinner. So he invited me around for dinner. He actually made me uh, fajitas, I think it was. And that was like our first one-on-one date, which was really nice. Um And then I think one of our quite early dates, we went to see Ed Sheeran when he was quite new, like people didn't really know of him. And it was a really small little venue uh, in London where you were so close that you could like almost touch him. And I got quite drunk then and was singing uh, horrifically bad, which he's still got videos of. So that's like ultimate blackmail. If I ever do anything, he's got those. Um, but then he didn't do a runner. So I felt like that. Well, I knew he was a keeper then. If he was going to be okay with that, he's going to be okay with anything. So, uh, yeah. I love it. We might have to get Reese on the show and uh, get him to release the um, the videos of your singing. Speaking of music, I read an article during the week where you had a selection of songs for The Pain Cave. Why those particular songs? And if you had to pick one of those songs that would instantly put a smile on your face and get you moving, which one would it be? Yeah, so that playlist I think I read had 39 songs in it. My sister actually, um, I had an Apple playlist. She put it then onto uh, Spotify so anyone can go and find it, I think. Uh, It's probably like the Lucy Charles Barclay workout playlist. But um, some of those songs, interestingly, my dad actually made a playlist when I was about nine years old when we would drive to the county swimming championships and he'd made a playlist of like, uh, a real mix of songs which I think some of them are on that playlist as well so they've kind of stuck with me over the years like one of the main ones being Eminem Lose Yourself which is like one of my real hype songs but even as a nine-year-old I knew every word to that song and could sing it so that's definitely probably one of the big ones and someone from another podcast is trying to get me to actually do the entire rap as a video um so I haven't got drunk enough yet for that to happen well, so, I was going uh, yeah, to we'll say, do you to want to give us a rendition of it, the first maybe verse of that song live now? <laughs> is there tequila or vodka? Is it tequila or vodka in your mermaid cup, or is it tea? 
unfortunately it's only coffee at the moment so (laughs) yeah we're not quite there yet but uh it might happen we'll see how this off season goes but uh I imagine it would it's either gonna go viral or I'm gonna lose a lot of followers so we'll have to wait and see I think potentially it will go viral. I'm I'm just looking at the time here, Lucy, and I've asked you loads of questions that I, I wanted to ask you myself. And I have lots more, but I'm conscious that our audience and your fans have been in touch as well. So I'm going to try and quickly run through uh, some of these questions. I may not get to everybody, but let's see if we can do like a rapid fire round on some of these. Emma Porter asks, what made you dabble in short course races and what made you switch your attention back to long course racing? Yeah, I think the big thing in this country is it's all about the Olympics. So even when I came into triathlon, my first event that I did or my first goal was the Ironman. But I always wanted to try and then see if I could make the Olympics in triathlon. And um, at the time, I'd had quite a lot of people that were high up saying that I wouldn't be good enough. Like my my swim was about there. My run was was nowhere near. My cycling was way off. So I had this little bit of fire then to be, to prove that I could do it, but I, I was having success in the long course. So I was like, well, I, I'll probably just stick with that because I don't need to be part of a training group. I don't need to be on a program to be doing the Ironman. I can just do that on my own. But then actually when I'd done a, a few shorter distance triathlons kind of leading into that first Ironman and I knew I could do it, but it was a slightly different skill because they were non-drafting events. um, And I knew that I'd never really done much um, draft legal stuff. So yeah, I just think over the years, I'd always wanted to give it a go. And then it just so happened that I can't really remember how it came about. I think it was after I'd done the arena games uh, in 2021, British Triathlon actually reached out to me then and was like, oh, you might actually have some potential for this. Uh, And I was like, well, I have been saying this for quite a while. Uh, But obviously, then I proved that I could do it in the indoor setting. So they'd seen that um, how I stacked up against some of the other British girls. So I was like, well, I'd be quite keen to try a short course race. So I basically just got put on a waiting list to do um, an event. And then it came through uh, like 10 days before the ITU championship in Leeds that I could get to race um, so I had 10 days to kind of switch up my training and and prepare for this like silly things like mounting and dismounting a bike I don't practice those skills so I was like god I'm gonna need to learn this or I'm gonna look stupid uh, on telly so uh, spent 10 days really working on that flew back home from Lanzarote drove up to Leeds uh, did the race there I think finished fifth um which again blew my mind but it was one of those where I feel like it may have been a similar situation to Taylor in Kona where actually in reality there's no pressure because you're new you've never done it but then I had expectation on me because people thought I would be good at it and I think it's the same with Taylor everyone expected that she's just going to be good at it even though she's not done it so whilst I was like no pressure because I've not done this I felt a massive amount of pressure because people thought I'd do well so I was actually really really pleased that I actually did do well and managed to come in the top five which I was extremely proud of and I did really enjoy it which is why then I decided to go and do the Super League at the end of the year um, because I knew I wasn't going to race again after that so that was quite a fun experience as well. And the answer to that question actually segues into my next question, which comes from Karen Cassidy. Uh, Are you able to sleep the night before Kona? Do you get nervous from the pressure of everybody's expectations or even your own expectations? 
Yeah, I remember saying to Reese the night before Kona, and to be honest, I never sleep very well the night before a race because you're just going through everything that could happen. But I remember saying to him, like, why is this my job? This is my stupid job ever. Like, what am I doing? And I think it's just all of that mounting up pressure and nerves. And actually, I never really feel too much external pressure. But I have so much internal pressure and desire to win and do well. And you know all of the sacrifices you've made, the amount of work that's gone into it. So as much as you tell yourself it doesn't matter, you know how much it does matter to you. So it is really hard that night before I race to get sleep. And I actually remember like that whole night, it felt like my heart was beating so fast when I was sleeping. And I didn't really sleep very well either. And then you never sleep well the night after the race either. So then just that all compiles onto the fatigue from the race and everything. But um, yeah, when it all comes together, it's so worth it. When it all comes together, you become an Ironman world champion. (laughs) Deirdre Kelly would like to know, why do you get up at 5am? You can train any time of the day. 5am seems insane. And Deirdre Kelly just has a newborn baby. So she knows all about the middle of the night, waking up and maybe not getting much sleep at all. Yeah, that was definitely the hard thing with deciding to train at home. Um, I was actually starting swimming at seven, but it required me to get up at five to actually get to the pool in time because I was driving uh, into London to the aquatic centre. So I would get up at five. I would leave at about um, quarter to six, I think. uh, And then I would be there just before seven. So it was like, frustrating in a way because if I train at Club of Santa I get up at quarter to seven and swim at seven so it's like so much more time in bed but because of the commute time I had to get up at five and actually when you're training three sessions a day I think one of the main reasons you can get injured as an athlete is if they're not spaced out enough because it just becomes one massive workout and you haven't got enough time to to eat in between those and recover so actually I had to get up that early to space out the free workouts and make sure I'd have like a solid meal in between each and have enough time to put my feet up so um and I wanted to be finished training by like five or six in the evening or I think I was usually finished before five every day so I could have the evening to chill make sure I have enough sleep before starting again so yeah that was kind of the main reasoning behind that so what time do you go to bed at night is it like eight o'clock nine o'clock Yeah, I was in bed most evenings at eight o'clock, half eight um, during that block. So, and Reese had to do that as well. So that was pretty brutal on him as well. You you did release your Kona vlog on Friday evening and and Reese was was saying like the alarm was going off at five o'clock, but he was very impressed that you never, your focus was so strong that you never once complained of of the alarm going off at five o'clock or having to get up. Like that focus was there, that it was all eyes in on the prize of the Ironman World Championship. Yeah, I think I've done Kona enough times now that you never want to stand on that start line and think, oh God, there was that three times when I didn't get up when my alarm went off. Like it would be in the back of my mind. So I was like, I'm doing this so that when I stand on that start line, I know that I fully committed. I did everything I could do. And I definitely felt that when I stood on that pier. I was like, well, I could not have done any more. Like I never missed a session. I never skipped anything. So I'm really glad that I did do that. And I think in a way it was it was harder because Reese wasn't getting up because uh, he was just full on supporting me then. He wasn't actually training as much. Um, but at the same time, it was easier because I was like, if I snooze the alarm, it's really going to annoy him because it's just going to keep having this alarm going off. So I'm just going to make sure I get up and get out of the bedroom and just get on with it. So, yeah. 
And of course, you know, a lot of people were talking, Lucy, about the fact that you stayed in the UK for that final block of prep uh, before Kona. And I, I think it was I think it was at the post-race press conference that you mentioned that a lot of the time when you were doing some of those harder sessions on the bike that you visualized being on the Queen K, that the difficulty or the 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 level of intensity that your training session was was to replicate what was going to happen on the Queen K and some of those really hard miles in the pain cave looking at those beautiful colored walls and listening to your playlist actually stood to you more so than maybe having been in Lanzarote for a few weeks or in fact heading out to Hawaii a little bit earlier. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And then also um, Siobhan Ryan mentioned the long bikes were on the turbo for uh, Kona. And what was your longest ride on Zwift and on the turbo on your Wahoo? Yeah, so I decided that um, training in the pain cave, and I've done it before for usually maybe like the last two weeks of my block for Kona. I normally maybe go to Lanzarote for four to six weeks and then come home and just do the final two weeks at home. Um, but yeah, I decided to do the whole lot at home this time, knowing that it was going to be extremely mentally challenging being inside, but I just know how well it has worked. Like physically you get so much more from it, but then mentally you do because it's just, you're just inside your own head. There's nothing else going on and there's no freewheeling. So everything you do is productive and efficient and I think the longest ride, I did a few five-hour indoor rides uh, on Zwift. And a couple of times I actually replayed uh, like the Ironman NBC show on YouTube from like 2017 all the way through, like watching them and seeing that journey and just dreaming that this might be the time that I could get the win. And we obviously replicated the heat as well. So having the heating on indoors and yeah, it was really, really tough. I did say to a few of my friends before, like, if I don't win this time, I don't know if I can do that block of work again because it was so tough. And there were times where I actually just really didn't enjoy it. And something for me coming into triathlon was I'm doing this for enjoyment. I want to have fun because swimming had got to the point where I'd lost those things and I didn't want that to happen in triathlon. So I was like, I really feel like I've sacrificed a lot in this block. I've even gone against that it all has to be fun it all has to be enjoyable because it was just focus do the work get it done like there was no mucking about it was it wasn't really that fun um so I'm glad it did work because now I know okay it was worth it it paid off and I probably could do the block again now knowing it would work this year was really tough because I felt like I trained really hard all year but it just wasn't coming together in the race then I had the injury which obviously set me back but I almost then lost that trust in that training works. Um, So it was amazing that I'd done the block and it did work. It did come together. I kind of regained that faith in training works. So, um, yeah, but it was very, very tough. You mentioned you had the heat on uh, in the pain cave. How expensive were your heating bills? Well, I do feel quite bad because that's at my in-laws' house. So that's their heating bill uh, conveniently. Um, yes, yeah, so um cost a lot, but they were completely invested in this journey as well. Like particularly Reese's dad, who actually trained still quite a lot in the pain cave and he would be there when I was doing my training and he'd ask Reese, like, what's she doing? How's this working? And he'd really understand like the progress I was making. And, and he did say the other day that he saw me on the bike and he's tra- he's done a half Ironman. He actually did Staffordshire half Ironman, I think in 2019. 
Um, so he has been on the journey. He does quite understand what it takes to do a half Ironman. So he said one day he saw me on the bike and he could see the power numbers. And he was like, Jesus Christ, like she's laying down some power. So, um, yeah, I feel like he'd been very much invested and was one of the people more than anyone that wanted me to win because he'd seen the work that went into it. So I think they don't mind too much about the heating bill. It was worth it. You, you can give them one of the Omekes for their trophy cabinet in the house. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, Oliver Harkin says, four second places and an influx of newer athletes such as Chelsea Sodaro and Taylor Nib, as well as the old foes who'd beaten you previously. Did you ever think your opportunity to be the Ironman world champion had passed or were you always committed to giving it another shot, another shot, another shot? I did feel like this might be my last shot if I didn't do it. I felt like I really, really had pushed it this time. And to stay motivated on the same goal since 2017 and still have that same drive and motivation when you've come so close and not quite got it. And then you are questioning, like, am I ever going to do this? Um, I did feel like this might be the last time. Now that I've done it, I'm like, oh, I'll definitely go back because I've done it now. Um, but yeah, it was tough. And I remember before the race saying, like, if this this is the year to do it, if you're going to do it, like everyone's here, Taylor's here for the first time. She's the next best thing since sliced bread. Like everything was about Taylor before the race, which was quite cool because it took the pressure off of me. Um, but I was like, this is the year to do it. So to actually do it then was amazing. And to do it in such style. I mean, you took... What was the final time you took off the, uh, the the course record? One minute and 47 seconds faster than Daniela Reef in 2018. Your fastest ever marathon time, 257.38. I mean, it was the year to do it. And yet you still say that you could go faster on the run course and there's more in you. Now, I know you were injured, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I mean, what an incredible day. Like your performance was stellar against probably, well, there's no probably about it. It was the best ever field of professional female athletes we've ever had on the start line of an Ironman World Championship yeah it does it blows my mind here in that time like I never at any point throughout the day was thinking about the finish time so that was the biggest shock when I turned around and looked and saw that time and was like oh, I think that might be a new record like it was amazing and then yeah I definitely know there's still more in the tank but mainly just because I was struggling with a bit of an injury on that run and what we'd seen in training indicated I would run a lot faster like Reese was doing my lactate and I was running very comfortably around like the 250 pace so that's the only thing but that's good because it's going to make me think I want to go back and go faster um so yeah but it was amazing like and to have everyone was performing well like Annie to break the run course record she was on top form everyone seemed to be on form everyone was there we had no last minute dropouts um so that makes it even more special to do it with those ladies. And every year we're raising the game and performing to a new standard. It's, it's, it's really amazing to see that. For 16 of our top professional women to go under nine hours was absolutely insane. I, I know, Lucy, a lot of people are probably going to be screaming at me, listening to me, asking her questions, going, ask her about the injury. What's going on? What happened? And how is it? So let's get an update on that for the moment. Yeah. So. Leading into the race, it was about exactly a week out from the race, actually, I was doing an easy run. And Reese will tell you, I basically turned on the spot to cross over the road uh, 
And he was like, you turned like you were on a squash court. What were you doing? Um, and then a couple of minutes later, I was running along um, and I was like, oh, I can feel something in my Achilles. This isn't very good. Uh, and I said, oh, can we cut the run short and just run back? And I was like, oh, it's it's minor, but it's annoying. It's not something I want like a week out from the race. Um, and then obviously I had my physio, Michael, there. He was working on it every single day before the race. Every run I did, it would get a little bit worse throughout the run. And then he would make it feel a bit better. And we decided to, I think, drop two of my final runs before the race uh, just to make sure it had a little bit more time to recover. And even the morning of the race, I could feel it. And I was like, oh, I hope it'll be okay. Running in the transition areas, obviously transition one and two, a barefoot all the way around the pit. And I could feel my Achilles then. And I was like, obviously coming out the swimming, feeling it, you're like, oh God, this is going to be a long day. And luckily on the bike, I could not feel anything at all. Like I felt solid. I felt really, really good on that. And that wasn't a problem. And then dismounting the bike, I felt quite stiff. I mean, that's normal, like you've rode that long, but I felt really stiff uh, and had to kind of straighten out running around the pier. I could feel that Achilles. Um, it wasn't terrible, but I was like, it's a marathon, so what's going to happen? Um, obviously got my shoes on, started running. You run up um, out of the transition area and get onto the main street. Um, and literally, it might not have even, even been a mile. Like I was, I hadn't been running that long and instantly felt in my calf like, oh this is really bad like I was like and then like you have all of this negativity floods in you're like I've got a big lead like probably one of the best leads I've ever had over Annie Howe who was the only person I was really thinking about and I was like am I going to be walking like am I going to lose this this is awful and I was like well just just keep running and see what happens like it, it's not not working you can run um, and I got onto a leaky drive and that was where everyone was shouting like, it's your day, you're going to do this, this is this. And inside my mind, I'm like, no, this is all unraveling. Like, this is awful. I'm in so much pain. Um, and I, I thought, or maybe it's just cramped. So I was like, well, get to the first aid station on a leaky drive, which is probably just over a mile in. Uh, get the electrolytes on board, like get some sugar in, get some gels, just get everything you can. Maybe that will help. Um, and definitely like cooling down helped. and then you, you kind of run uphill to the aid station and then down. So I was really nervous about the downhill part. Like, is, is my leg not going to cope with that? Actually, it was completely fine. Like, it was painful, but I was like, well, it's not, it's not broken. It's go, we can do this. Um, and then I saw Reese at about mile four, and I was like, this is really bad. This is really bad. And he was like, you were just gritting your teeth. Like, this is bad. Um, and then I think he shouted at me, but like you're running as fast as anyone here and it was then I actually looked at my watch and I was like oh the pace is exactly what we'd set out to run like even in more of the conservative pace that I was doing in training I, I was really on track for that so I was like actually you haven't slowed down even though you're in this pain so you just got to keep going and that was pretty much what I did but every single stride was agony when I towed off of that leg but I I remember seeing Reese at probably it was over halfway into the run and he was like it's just pain like and 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 that was exactly what I needed to hear because my whole body hurt but there was more pain there than anywhere else but actually it's like well you're in pain anyway so what what does it matter what the level of pain is it's just pain um and that's what my mind was thinking and I did think it, it will be more painful to not win and stop than than this pain is so just endure it and that's what I did I just endured it the only thing that I was nervous about was if, if it was going to completely tear and not be able to function 
luckily it didn't it held out um I don't know if people have seen there was a picture online of the bruising that came up the day after the race like it was pretty bad and I've done a, a pretty good job on on that injury it, it's going to be a bit of recovery it will heal which is good but I mean to be honest I don't really care at this point I got what I've always wanted which is that world title and I'm probably one of the best at knowing how to recover from an injury so uh, I'm not too worried I, I know I'll be able to do everything right and be back ready for next year and the thing is as well if you weren't injured you probably would be back out running swimming cycling training like a lunatic even though it is the off season so this for the rest of your body could actually be a blessing in disguise. I know it's probably going to be a long, a long road rehab. And uh, I know that everybody was concerned about you um, when they saw it all taped up and we saw that as well on the vlog as well. So we wish you the very best of luck with the recovery from the injury, but I'm sure there'll be a roller skate out somewhere or maybe some other type of ingenious design of training by uh, by Reese and Dan. I'm now going to pop over to our Instagram questions. We have loads of them. I know I'm not going to get through them and we've been talking for ages. It's almost time for a second coffee for Lucy, looking back, what was the smallest training foundation you started with that made the biggest impact? That's a really good question. I mean, in the early days for me, obviously the swim was, I didn't really need to worry about the swim. So I think for me, it was just really just getting confident on the bike really more than anything. And I really enjoyed going and riding with other people because it was social. So I think actually that's been quite fundamental in the early days was just trying to keep it fun and social and getting confident on the bike but I think it's it's nicer to do that riding outside with other people so that would definitely be kind of my main thing was getting the biking in that's the longest part of the day on an Ironman as well so if you're competent on the bike and know you can go for a long time on that it will help everything else I often find actually when I can't run cycling helps my running anyway so I just do a bit more of that. Paul Kelly asks, was Anna Haug's run your greatest threat going into Kona or who did you most fear? She was definitely the person that I thought was the biggest contender for the win. I mean, she'd been consistent all season, raced so, so well. Um, And she just isn't slowing down, which is incredible. I think she's like 40 now and she's still getting faster. So I knew that she would be the main person and she had the potential to run that fast. Um, I think last year in Kona, she biked really hard and that actually hurt her run. And I did think she's going to be smarter this year, like she's going to back her run. So, yeah, she was definitely the person. And probably, yeah, she was the only person, particularly as the day unfolded and we got off that bike. uh, She was the only person that was my concern, really. Diane Adventure says, no question, but just let Lucy know that she is a great source of inspiration, especially after my cancer treatment. So I'm so happy for her after the win. There was a lot of those that came in as well, which is fabulous. Sophia Hager asks, do you have a regular period with your heavy training load? Yeah, I think this is a really good question, actually, because I think a lot of people assume that I don't have a regular period because I've had the bone injuries. And that's usually a telltale sign of Uh, being high risk of a bone injury but actually I've always been very regular with my cycle um, which I found like then frustrating that I get the bone injuries because it's like well I don't feel like I have a warning because my body is functioning perfectly healthy and fine Um, I'm glad that it does do that because I know some athletes really do struggle with that particularly with the training volumes that we're doing but yeah that's something that I'm happy to report is is working well. Ooh, our next question is Lucy aiming for a sub eight Kona time I think 
now I feel like it's possible. And definitely, obviously, we had the sub eight project before where we saw um, Kat Matthews go like seven and a half hours, obviously, with assistance. So uh, that's quite a different project, I guess, whereas actually then doing it on your own in a race. But to go the time I did in Kona, which I think we had good conditions, but it's not the fastest Ironman that exists. It's still brutally hot. The bike course is not fast. It is actually a lot hillier and you will get some wind, which we did get a little bit on the return. So maybe not in Kona, but I do feel like it could be a goal of mine to go sub eight somewhere. Um, so, yeah, I, I believe it. we will see it one day. If I don't do it in the future, we will get there. And it wasn't that long ago we were talking about men going sub eight in Kona. So it just goes to show what's possible and particularly what female athletes are capable of. So it's exciting. And in my head, uh, it, all that's going around it is uh, Lucy Charles Barkley has just said that it's a goal of hers. And we've seen that Lucy has achieved pretty much all of the goals she has set herself. Imagine, Lucy, it's 10 years since you signed up to that first Ironman. It was 2013 you signed up and, and look at all you've achieved in that 10 years. We've looked back a little bit, looking forward a little bit. Have you started planning for 2024? Will you defend your title in Nice? Will you hold off and go to Kona in 2025? Will you look at Paris or any short course racing? There is so much opportunity for racing. And obviously, two days before Kona, Ironman announced their pro series, which was like, God, I'm not even thinking about that right now. I've got Kona. But now we're sat here thinking, right, well, what are we going to do in 2024? Like the the possibilities are endless with the PTO series, um, with Ironman series, with Nice, with Challenge Roth, all these races. Um, and I haven't fully decided what I'm going to do yet. Um, initially, I was quite driven with the PTO racing because I haven't won one of those races yet. And I like to win things. So really? I definitely... I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought so. <laughs> so I definitely want to win one of their races next year. So that's a big goal of mine. Uh, I'm undecided on Nice yet. I feel like if I do that race, I'm going to have to really focus on it. It will not be a Zwift training block for that race. It will be going to Nice, wrecking in the course, spending probably a few months there, getting comfortable with it. So I need to make a decision on that because I think it would take a big chunk of time out of my year to focus on that. Um, Kona in 2025, I would say I definitely want to go back there. For me, it feels more like defending that title because it's Kona. And I want to see how fast I can go in Kona. So, um, yeah, that's a very kind of brief overview of what I want to do. I'm not fully decided yet, but uh, I'm just excited for the future. And then I never asked you, what about uh, going to New Zealand next year for the Ironman 70.3 World Championship? It's somewhere I've always wanted to go. And actually, my dad was like, oh, if you ever go to New Zealand, I'd love to come. So, um, yeah, it's it will be a very long season because that's in December. So, um yeah, I'm not sure yet, but it's somewhere I'd love to go. So I will probably have it penciled in for the end of the year next year. Is there anything that you would do differently with your race day from this year that you would think would have helped you to go faster for the future? Now, I know, obviously, the run was a big part of where you lost time potentially. But is there anything else aside from that that you would consider doing differently going back to Kona? Um, not that I can really think of, like the swim played out exactly how I wanted it to. Um, so I couldn't change anything there. The bike, I don't think I would change anything like the bike setup itself was great. The gearing was good. 
Um, we went for quite a deep front wheel because the winds were low. We we really optimised that position. It was the most comfortable I'd felt. So I don't think I would change anything on the bike. We got the fueling pretty good. I, I probably wouldn't change anything with that. I probably pushed it the most I ever have in terms of calories that I'd taken. I think I was up near 100 grams of carbs an hour on the bike, which is the most I've ever done. Um, and that I think that really just helped me have the energy needed on the run despite the injury. So I couldn't change that. So That's quite a lot, Lucy, considering you're, you're quite light. So 100 grams of carbohydrate, that's quite a lot. Yeah, we really tried and tested it in training. I'm actually sponsored by Morton. So um, I was able to really test how much I could take on. And we would do that on the bike. And then I'd be a bit nervous about getting on to do my brick run. But then I just, I expected to actually feel rubbish on the brick run because usually I do in training. And that was what was eye-opening was I would get on the treadmill and be like, I feel even better than I felt on the bike. Like, this is weird. So it just, yeah, it just goes to show how much nutrition and feeling plays such a massive part, um, yeah, in allowing you to actually go that extra mile. So pretty amazing that I can tolerate that much. Yeah, because I had read somewhere that you were allergic or intolerant to certain foods. And so you had to overhaul your diet and you just weren't getting enough calories in as well, considering all of the training. So nutrition definitely was hugely important for you and dialing it in perfectly. Yeah, a million percent. And actually changing my diet and cutting those things out once I was able to figure out enough calories from that diet has been transformative in my performance. Like I first did that in 2021. And I think that was the other thing that gave me confidence leading into the 70.3 worlds was like, I just felt better than I ever had. I'm actually an athlete that when I train really hard, I get extreme joint pain. Like it's really, really painful. I've had it since I was a child. If I would race hard in swimming, I'd be like in agony all night with my knees hurting all my joints. Um, and then when I changed my diet, that completely stopped. So it was just, I think I had so much inflammation in my body from those foods like gluten and dairy um, that cutting them out was like eye-opening and how quickly it happened as well. And I think now, like when I'm in the off-season, I allow myself to have a treat, I'll have a pizza, I'll have things with gluten in. But um, it's when I then cut it out again that I realised how much better I feel with not having it. Um, yeah, it's, it's really crazy how the body just does not want that for me personally it doesn't want that so and so Lucy quick one for you what did you have for breakfast today so today I had a banana I actually had like um a soya yogurt that had all uh, passion fruit in it that's quite nice and I've had two coffees but I think we're gonna have bacon and eggs now so <laughs> nice I'll be over shortly <laughs> I'll get the flight <laughs> over um your favorite go-to food pre and post training Oh, pre and post training. I mean, pre, well, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but pre racing Kona for about a week, I ate chicken and rice and nothing else. So I still don't want to see that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's basically what I eat. And then post race, it usually is pizza. I actually had, I managed to stomach about one slice of pizza after the racing Kona. I just could not eat, but that's always sort of my go-to. But my favorite cheat meal at home is like going out for a curry. I love a curry. So. Not chicken and rice, though. Well, I did laugh because when uh, I was speaking to the guys from Cube after, and they were like, no more chicken and rice. And I was like, but I really want to go out for a curry. And that is chicken and rice. This is just wrong, isn't it? <laughs> As a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? 
I always wanted to be an athlete. Like I wanted to be an Olympic swimmer when I was about eight or nine. I think if I went back now and knew what I was going to achieve, uh, it would probably blow my mind. So because it's very, it's it's the same, but it's very different to what I had envisioned. Um, but I guess, yeah, just being able to be top of the world in what I'm doing is basically exactly what I wanted. So, yeah, it's pretty amazing to be able to have done what I dreamt of as a kid. And do you have any regrets on things you've done or maybe haven't got to do over the years from the sacrifices you've had to make? Is there anything you'd love to just go back and say, God, I really wish I didn't have to sacrifice that to do this? I definitely don't think so now. Like, obviously, I sacrificed a lot, but I have I have loved the journey for the most part. Um, and to be able to just do what I love doing, something that for the most part keeps me healthy and and active and yeah just being able to go and run with my dogs and just do things like that and I remember Reese and I went and raced once in Prague and actually after the race we went sightseeing just by running around the place and it's like actually how amazing is that that we can do this to go and see somewhere so I do feel really lucky that I'm able to do something that's positive for myself but also has a very positive impact on the people around me as well so it's quite special and unique and I think Lucy to be fair it's not just a positive impact on the people that are around you in your close-knit family and friends and your your circle but worldwide you're such a huge inspiration to to everybody and you've opened up your life to all of us with the vlogs and your socials and allowing us to be part of your journey and I think that's what made your win so special in Kona was that, yes, you had come second four times. And that is incredible. I mean, there are many athletes that have never come second on the world stage once, never mind four times. But I think everybody was willing you to the finish line in Kona and just wanted you to break the tape and become the Ironman world champion this year. I'm, I'm going to ask you if, if it's your proudest moment winning the world championship. I know it's everything you say you've, you've dreamed of, you've achieved your dreams. You weren't going to get a, another dog because you had everything you, you had dreamed of. If you look back at everything you've done, not, not just Kona, everything else you've done, what is your standout highlight of your career, of your life? It doesn't have to be in sport. What do you say? Wow, I am just so proud of that. I think Kona has to top it because every year I've learned something from doing that race and then to have the two major injuries in there that were massive setback and to still keep believing I could do it and not give up um just that resilience that I've had to find in in keeping coming back and the setbacks and I remember like there, there wasn't many but people saying she's never going to win it she's always going to be second it's like hang on a minute actually coming second is amazing like you said there's people that would dream of being on the podium in the world championships and might never get to do that so that was amazing but I still knew I had it in me to win that and then to have the struggles that I actually had in the race and to keep pushing on and even though I was breaking my body down in the process of doing it and people would probably say that was crazy it was just like to be that driven for that goal and to then achieve it has to be my proudest moment and it it definitely is my proudest moment and I think now going forward I'm still driven and I still have goals but I just feel like I'm going to be able to enjoy it more now because I've achieved that thing that's almost been haunting me now for so long 
yeah I feel like I can now just enjoy the journey going forward well we have certainly enjoyed watching your journey for many years and I'm just so grateful that uh, you joined me on the podcast today and what a privilege it was for me to call you the Ironman world champion on Elite Drive on the 14th of October I will never forget that moment I'm sure you'll never forget it either for all the reasons we've talked about but we're joined in history together so Lucy Charles Barclay thank you so much for joining us on the podcast I can't wait to call you down a finish line again and I just want to wish you the very best of luck for the future and thank you for for giving us the opportunity to share your journey with you oh thank you very much Joe. it's been a pleasure chatting to you Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. If you would like to hear more great episodes of the podcast, be sure to check them out on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow all of our activities and podcasts on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and on Instagram. And if you have any feedback or guest suggestions, please email me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening, stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day.